episode number 60. Can't pull that off. <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. Well, hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? We're talking about another book today. Oh, yes, we are, aren't we? Yes, we're talking about a, a cool book, actually. It's, it's actually, well, it works on a number of different levels for me, so I'm looking forward to kind of getting into that. I just want to say before we get started that, um, oh, actually, I was going to say check out, check out our Instagram story, but it'll be gone by the time they listen to this. Although I can download it and I'll put it on the Facebook page. Okay. Yes, how about that? There you go, folks. I'll, We've, because we, if you haven't found us on Instagram yet, we are on Instagram now, Havana Podcast. You can find us there. And we'll, well, we share a lot of sayings and things there. But also, we're doing the Insta stories there as well. So you can join in the conversation there. Excellent. All right. So this book, Stephen Mitchell. Yeah. So I started reading this book. It's called Meeting with the Archangels. And, a, a comedy uh, of the spirit. Yes. And I started reading it. Hold on, hold on. Don't forget that bit, too, because that's important. A fiction. A fiction, because he deliberately called it a fiction and not a novel. Right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Just because of its meandering way that it kind of goes through, almost, yeah, in a sense, plotless. It's true, yeah. yeah. It's not really yeah. a story in that yeah. traditional sense yes. of having a story arc and stuff. Although the character does yeah, yeah. You know, change. Change, yeah. yeah. So that's why he called it a fiction and not a novel. For that very reason. Have you read much about him talking about the book? Um, just a little bit, okay. but not, not a whole lot. Because it comes across as if it is a true story. I mean, that's how yeah. he writes it. Yeah, yeah. As and if it's like, this has happened to him. Yes, and I think that's probably one of my favorite things about it, is, it's, is it, it has that sense of a spiritual journey and one that kind of parallels, I, I won't say it parallels exactly my own journey, but I could empathize based off of my own sort of spiritual journey journeys um, that he's kind of going through. But do you want to kind of lay out what the basic idea uh, of the book is? Yeah, well, you know, I started reading it, and um, it took me a while to get into, actually, because this whole first bit where um, the Archangel Gabriel appears to the narrator and then goes into kind of this whole long thing about describing the... What, it, what it's like to be an angel. Yeah, hold on uh, a second. Let me, because yeah. uh, I know why. Hold that thought, because I had a passage that I wanted to start with. Yeah, right. And it's probably because this passage is in the very, very beginning. And when you read it, you're like, all right, man, next book. Because <laughs> it feels like it's going to be one of those um, mind blowers in a sense. But anyway, here's a, just a little excerpt. It says, um, so does this suit you any better? And this is the main character meeting the archangel for the first time uh, and then he says um, I didn't know any better and the angel says in, in me said the light as the miracle of understanding is effortlessly achieved each single truth that I discern shines in the radiance of all truths like jewels in the crown I am the intelligence that ceaselessly consumes every created thing without being affected or changed by anything in return. Throughout the universe of my marvelously pure spiritual substance, all truths exist equally distant from one another and from myself. 
in such perfection of their harmony and correlations that even if I were to cease existing, the systems of their simultaneous necessity, glittering like a diadem, would endure endure by itself in all its sublime plentitude. Yes, Yes, that was very, very demonstrative of why I had to almost stop reading that book. Yes, absolutely. But but you had recommended it to me, so I was like, there must be something more to this than than this. So, yeah, I kept reading. Actually, it got great, and you sort of... It's not that long, actually. You just need to know that something more than that is coming. Yes, yeah. Because actually that bit is quite short. So I, d- I definitely recommend reading it. Having finished it, it is what I say when I walked into you. My, it was like, <laughs> my mind was actually quite blown by this book. Which, uh, yeah, I've done a fair bit of reading. It's not easily blown. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So what is it that... Um, so, well, I'm interested to ask you, like you... So, so basically, okay, so, so for everybody mm. who presumably has not read this book because it's not actually that easy to get a hold of, um, it's... Uh, so Gabriel appears to the narrator and tells him about what it's like to be an angel. And then the story kind of continues where the narrator goes back and talks about um, his own spiritual journey that led up to that point. And he, when Gabriel appears to him, is quite disappointed because he takes this as a sign that he's not as far along on his journey as he thought if, if angels are still appearing to him. Right. So he's quite disappointed. And um, he's written this book that you know about in quite quickly in, in the book. The narrator has written a book called Against Angels. So there's that kind of like little drama there. Uh, so he talks about his yearning for an experiential kind of knowing of God or whatever he's truth or something and he goes through all these different processes which ironically start with smoking he's Jewish so he starts smoking broccoli I like it smoking broccoli (laughs) I had some broccoli for dinner last night so this smokes him in the name of experiential um, feeling of the book you know you have to apparently um be chanting a kind of like Jewish, not Watcher hymn, thingy. but yeah, it, yeah, it's like a traditional kind of chanting song. In order for the thing. Bro- broccoli to kick yeah, in. Yeah, exactly, ah. exactly. I'm going to have to so Google it and see if I can get there's the. There's lots of, uh, yeah. Smoking broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> so, so eventually he kind of has this, um, he ha- has um, a Jewish teacher that gives him a taste of this special challah that's like, you know, Jewish bread that's like, I don't know, potent somehow. And he has this whole psychedelic experience, which actually turns quite painful because he sees the, he has a vision of like this horror where he is Hitler. So as a Jewish person in particular, it's like the possibility of becoming or having within you the worst possible thing that you could possibly imagine. And it's years and years and years then of him trying to reconcile what that is about, isn't it? So he finds his own master um, and works with him for a while and does loads of meditation. And then the Zen master sends him to a Jewish master who's also trained in Zen but is Jewish and called David and he works with him and that's when he really finally admits this is what's happened I've had this vision and you know has to grapple with 
with good and evil and, and all those kind of things. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's yeah. good. But the thing I like about the book myself is exactly that. It's just like, um, as I'm reading it, I think about the various different spiritual traditions that are out there and the different very paths that people perhaps take to find enlightenment or find the truth or whatever that end point of your search would actually be. And it was interesting to... Because um, he tried a different approaches, didn't he? So, um, you know, I guess reading about that is what kind of sparked my, my own imagination as in these various ways of getting to a space. And I just happened to be a big fan of Zen as well, so when he was in that space, it was even better for me. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said you had a question for me. Well, no, you just at the beginning, you said something about how... Um, you really resonated with the narrator and how he felt about stuff. Was it just that? Or? It was that, yeah. It was, it, was, it was that sense of the spiritual journey and going on and trying to figure out what this ultimate sort of truth is. And something like what you just mentioned um, just now, the, what you were just talking about, it just, you know, that part reminds me of this idea that as a, as a person, we have, we're, we have everything within us. So you have the capability to do the greatest evil or the greatest good just by virtue of being human. So all of that we have to reconcile within us. And I think we've talked in other episodes where, where we said that um, your shadow side or bad side makes you who you are as well. So, and you couldn't have one without the other. So I think that's always an interesting thing. So how do you reconcile this shadow or bad side of you um, that that actually is part part of your strength as well. Yeah. yeah. So like in that episode of Captain Kirk when his his yeah, that's bad right, side gets ripped out of him. Yeah. yeah. That bit, yes. I uh, I think the thing that that resonated immediately with me about the book and the narrator is, and it's funny because he basically he starts the story of his own spiritual journey by with like this yearning to know and it's just assumed that yearning in him was just there yeah so he actually he first goes and explores it through smoking broccoli yeah 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 as you do <laughs> and uh can't really say that without laughing <laughs> and uh you know, kind of proceeds from there and has this terrible vision, then goes through Zen, then goes, th you know, through uh, several spiritual teachers. And which along the way, you know, you pick up and he shares quite profound realizations that, you know, we all kind of grapple with about, you know, one of which is where does evil come from or yeah. why do bad things happen to good people, all this kind of stuff. But um, what he doesn't explore and what I don't have an answer to either is like where does that yearning come from to, to want to know the truth or to experience God and why do some people seem to have it so strongly and other people it's just not quite as much need I mean he goes to so he goes through this whole thing and then he meets this um, Zen his first Zen teacher called Sumi-san and his first meeting with him he, so he says, you know, Sumi-san says, you know, why are you here? Yeah. And, you know, he kind of gives a few pathetic answers as, you know, these, these Zen master meetings tend to go. Uh. And then he says, no, why are you really here? And he kind of says, well, I'm just not happy. I just can't find peace. 
And then Sumi-san says to him, the Zen master says, um, you were just yearning for your original home. It'll all be okay. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like a hint for why, where that yearning comes from. But he, of course he's saying like, you're yearning for that sense of who you really are underneath all of this stuff, you know, and there's something about you that knows that it's there and is missing it. Kind of like a salmon or something trying to get back to its spawning grounds or something like that, which kind of makes sense how the book, you know, where it goes to in terms of where angels and what angels kind of are. And in a sense, that marries itself back up as in this yearning to get back to, as I'm quite often saying, as I want to go back to the cosmic soup, which is where I got this idea from, was from this book, this idea of the cosmic soup and being able to go back to that place. But which cosmic soup? Uh, the cosmic soup where this archangel came from here. Yeah, but... I want to go back to that, but I don't want to come back. I want to stay in the soup. <laughs> Whereas, so later on as the book goes on, and as the archangel kind of explains, or tr- attempts to explain, um, yeah, where we come from and its source and the fact that, you know, we're, we swim around in this cosmic soup, then you pick and, and choose... Basically, they're, because they're internal be, eternal beings, it's just about play, in a sense. These and, are the angels. Yeah, these are the angels. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this extreme sense of curiosity and playing. And so part of this, this death, birth, rebirth, death thing is that, you you know, I decide in the cosmic soup that I want to be clay. <laughs> and so um, I assume that that role... And then at the but at the moment he says at the moment that you enter the uh, into the womb, then your amnesia comes and you forget and then you're right. born and then you play out that role of clay which you chose to do, um, yep. whatever that is going to be whether it's good bad life or however that's going to be you've, you've chosen that to have that experience, um, and that's just me and what I'm saying well I don't want to do that again well, but yeah what, I want to what, stay in the soup. What starts out as the angel explaining, it's kind of a, in in the beginning of the book, it's set up where you have this human narrator that is living in a world of binaries, of opposites, of Mm. there's good and evil, and there's you and me, and there's God and me, and, you know, whatever. And then you have the angel kind of set up as the, possibility of conceiving of oneness of everything where there's no limits everything is encompassed within him including what we might call God or you know the eternal um, but it doesn't actually end that way yeah. and in a way what happens is that um, I mean, in a, this is, I, I'll give. I'll talk about the end because actually, it's it's really there is no kind of finale end. It's yeah. it's really about understanding the the process. So it's definitely still worth reading. But you know, it it ends up with the angel saying, actually, this realm where there is only pure joy doesn't have aspects that we need in order to grow. So like there is no such thing as sorrow or regret or anything like that, any kind of opposite of joy. So we, the, we, the angels, he's saying exist only on one 
part of the pole. Yeah. And so we can't, we don't really grow. We just kind of play around. And you humans are, you know, he, he's, he's kind of expressing this admiration for the spirits who choose to embody a human life and take on the, you know, come into the world where there are opposites and that you do have to experience sorrow. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of these things I was like finishing the book and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to talk about this book? I can barely wrap my own head around it. I'm going to have to read it like 17 more times before I can actually yeah, articulate right. it well. But, um, but what, what it ends up, as far as I can understand, is that actually it, the angels do not represent the oneness. They are a pole that is not, that is also not kind of growing towards the real true oneness, which is, I don't know what you might call God, but which is just the I am. Yeah. And there's, because that's a fascinating concept in the sense that, um, you know, there is this idea that there, all this separateness, the you, the me, and all of this is, but that there is only one entity that we're, I'm, you know, the Beatles even said, isn't it? I am you, you are me, and we are all together. That sort of concept that we're just an aspect of God, if you will. Uh, and so that, but we, for, for whatever reason, we self-identify with this particular incarnation of Clay or yep. Sarah in that aspect, but in actuality, we're the same, we're one and the same. Yeah. 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 You want to take a break while you contemplate that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> take a quick break while you, while you take that in. You imagine that you're me now, and I'm you. Or there's that moment where he, the narrator looks at the cat. No, it's David that looks at the cat. So, he, so the narrator tells the story of his Jewish spiritual teacher and his training, and that David looks at the cat and suddenly becomes the cat, and the cat becomes him. Yeah. And he's like, whoa. And the butterfly and the yeah. man, dreaming <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. All right, let's take a quick break. The Havana Cafe Sessions podcast was created to carve out space for contemplation in the middle of our busy week. Inspired by the very ancient idea that wisdom and principles of conscious living can be found through conversation, Clay and I started meeting over coffee at the Havana Cafe. From these meetings, the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast was born, and as an independent podcast, it is supported by listeners like you. Here's how you can help us support the show and continue taking time to explore the big questions in our lives. First and most importantly, you can share the podcast with friends on Facebook, Instagram, or old school like talking to your friends. Haha. <laughs> Leave a review for us on iTunes, or you can support the show for as little as a couple of pounds or dollars a month. That's less than the coffee you are drinking right now while listening to this show by going to havanacafesessions.co.uk and hitting that contribute button. Hope you're enjoying this episode, and thanks again for listening. So uh, one of the big things that the narrator has to grapple with is this whole idea of good versus evil. And I thought what was really effective about the way that he was explaining it was that he doesn't just talk about it in the abstract. He's really like embeds it in, in Hitler and in the Nazis and something that we feel so strongly about so we're all kind of we're all bought in yeah do you know what i mean and he in particular because and you feel that because of his jewishness you feel his buy-in as well into that kind of 
whole thing. So it's not an abstract principle. You can just go, oh, yes, there's good and there's evil and it's all fine. It's like when he has that moment where he experiences what it's like to look through the eyes of Hitler and see this Jewish man who's been helping him as this corrupting, very ugly kind of thing that you have to, almost like a pest that you have to eradicate mm. and, and, and experiences those strong, hateful emotions. He just literally freaks out. And for literally the next 10 years, he's, he's trying to grapple with what that experience was about and how could he have looked through those eyes and, and felt those feelings himself. Yeah. Um, I think, well, you know, you know from a, you know, human to us, it's something that we probably all grapple with, isn't it? So we yeah, have that, sure. that conversation of how can, if we just look at the news at any given moment, and all this bad stuff going on, and then it, you know, makes you kind of question: Is there well, a sort of a, a an entity or a god or someone that's benevolent? That, and you you have the question of how could something like that happen? And I always have the question of how can, how are we even? So in some sense, we're almost um, can we be held accountable for the bad and the evil that we do? if we aren't our own makers. So if our maker has made us, then we're only as effective as the design. So if we have flaws, it's because our creator made the flaws. And so can we actually be accountable for evil, I guess, is a question I would have if, if you didn't There's have... all kinds of variations yeah. on, the, on these questions, isn't there? Because it's like, you know, it's, it's again, when you're looking at the news, it's... It's important, I think, to notice our desire to put those people into a category of evil people, you know, evil bad people. And, and it's very difficult to do anything but that, hmm. you know. And, and of course, you know, we had a whole episode at the very beginning of starting this podcast on the story of the two wolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea that. You know, there's this um, story from the American Indian tradition about this grandfather who says, I have two, he's telling his grandson, I have two wolves inside of me, and one of them is um, battling for good, and the other is battling for evil, and they're both battling to control my heart. And the grandson says, who's going to win? And he says, the one I feed. Yeah. So, you know, I suppose in a lot of traditions, including the tradition, Christian tradition, I think the answer that you would be given would be, well, you have choice. You have a choice about which wolf you feed. You have yeah. a choice about how you translate your capabilities into action. So the game and that is, is the, I made it so that you have the two wolves, and then I give you free will to let you choose between the two wolves. Well, see, I, I, don't, I don't buy into that, but that's yeah. a story. Yeah, yeah. So it, I, we're interchanging good or bad with evil, and what was coming to my mind then is, can you, are they two, are those two separate things? Like, so, I guess for me, bad, there's such a scale for bad, because bad can just depend on who's making the rules to say what mm. good is. Mm -hmm. But then there is, like, evil, as in you're just doing something that's... Purposefully against humanity, not yeah. just you know you yeah. break some rules here or there and that kind of and thing. I think, but I think the thing 
that's so effective about the book is exactly that, that he makes it really personal hmm. so that, you, you know, you're invested in this as well and it isn't a just a talk. So, I mean, I'll, I'll quote some from the book. Um, so this is him talking to his um, Jewish kind of Zen master called David. And, and the master, David, says, the whole question is false when you state it as, why does God allow evil? The problem isn't theological, it's human. There's no supreme being standing outside the universe and allowing anything, to ha- allowing anything and there is no evil. And, and the narrator says, how can you possibly say that? He says, we get caught up in such a huge metaphysical dilemma when we use that name. But when we look at our situation more clearly, we see that what we call evil is simply selfishness and the result of selfishness, clinging, and the result of clinging. And so he interrupts him and says, why is there such appalling cruelty in the world? And, you know, and again, kind of, you know, says you cannot really be justifying these things and saying that it doesn't matter that, you know, Hitler killed, you know, six million people or whatever. But he takes, he takes the narrator through in this really profound way so that first he kind of talks about how he gives him some like Zen Cohen's like kind of mind puzzles to, yeah. to sort through, which he works on for a year or more. And he basically talks about how um, there is this continuum, he says, that's possible in all of us between what we might call Buddha self, which is like pure light and openness and unobscured essential nature. And that continuum extends down to the most, like, opaque and covered up essential nature, which is represented by the Nazis, for instance. And he says that's what we're, like, we are capable of of that whole continuum. And that's just the way it is. And and the, the final kind of profound moment in this whole thing is that he, he takes... He makes him kind of meditate on this this Zen mind puzzle, basically, and then uh, of these two crows pecking at this um, poor frog that they're basically yeah. killing. And he kind of works it, works it, works it, and ultimately he comes back and he starts saying about how horrible Hitler is and how much he's angry at him. And he said, and, and, and his teacher says, what do you call that feeling that you feel against Hitler and, and, and the Nazis and people like that? And he said, I feel rage. I feel a lot of resistance. I don't want to do the things that you're asking me to do, like wish them peace, wish them, you know, these kind of things that he's yeah. being asked to do in meditation. And he says, I would call it hatred. It's difficult to hear, but everything depends on you understanding this. And then he says, hatred is a mode of suffering. It's, it's the, a kind of aversion, the reverse side of craving. And these are the two fundamentals of all suffering. When you hate, you cause a contraction in your heart, and it hurts. And then he points out, hatred is Hitler's ruling passion. So when you are in that place where you are hating the person who has done these deeds, not the deeds, yeah. the person who has yeah. done these deeds, you are 
coming from the same place that they're coming from in an essential way. Yeah. And like that is so difficult to hear and it's so powerful. And yeah, anyway. No, I was it's just cool. like I'm, <sighs> I'm smiling because is. that's what Yoda was trying to tell Luke. Yeah. That very same thing, isn't it? In terms of controlling your feelings and if you if you let the hate and and all that rise up, then you become Darth Vader. That's right. Uh, See, that's why I liked, this is a total reversal, because now you've gotten on Star Wars, and you know, it's like one of my loves. But that's why I love the first three, so numbers one, two, and three, like the newer Star Wars, because even though the acting is terrible and all that stuff, if if you can look beyond it to the story, and you see how someone goes from being a Jedi to going over to the dark side, and you see, you can see that kind of, well, you know, there's the Buddhist, you know, way of explaining that. Yeah. You know, they use, you know, the language of the force. Yeah, yeah. But it's that go into fear, go into hatred and yeah. resistance, and then you're in the dark side. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're Darth. But, and, and the, you know, the tying it back into what we're supposed to talk about here, and it, it, this, so the force that both Luke and Darth Vader use is the same force. Yeah. So, but they right. just use it in a different way, isn't it? So yeah. it's, it's, it's all one and the same thing. It's, yeah, you focus on the hatred and the fear and channel that energy, which leads you to the dark side, or do you channel in the hope, the forgiveness, uh, yeah. and go to the light side? Yeah. But in the end, the force is still just the force, which is probably, and this is where I was making the distinction between sort of good and bad versus good and evil. Um, the force is probably neither. It's probably neutral. No, that's right. It's yeah. the humans it's, and how you come at it that it's gives not it its neither title. or neutral. I think yeah. I would say it is not. You know, like this is the language of Zen and, yeah, and yeah. Of Buddhism in general. It's like when you're still thinking in in the language of binaries and opposites, then it's not even correct to say neutral because neutral is still within a binary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it is just not. It just is, or not even just is. <laughs> it is. It's the thing. It was at it the is, Tao, isn't it? Is not. It's the thing that will uh, that has, has no name or uh, is nameless. And, and because, as you say, the moment you start to give it titles and names and descriptions, and you've stepped out of the place of what it is. And I to think begin that's with. what's so profound about this book, and what what's so hard to wrap your head around is that it is talking about that place that you know the Buddhists talked about look at you know the nature of unborn existence yeah that's a a saying in in the um, Lojong tradition which is kind of part of what I study but it's um, you know that unborn awareness what were you before you were born yeah all that kind of those kind of questions that we really cannot wrap our human mind around because we're functioning in the binary world yeah. but it, it, it is within this book it's kind of like here are the binaries here is the potential to try and at least recognize even if we can't grasp what it must be like to move outside of that yeah well, Socrates uses that same argument as well in the apology doesn't he in terms of what were you before before birth yeah um, and do we go into the same state of non-existent you were non-existent before and you go back into a state of non-existence yeah 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 so yeah. so at the be- in his his first zen teacher sumi san says there are no opposites things are just as they are they're yeah. just the way they are yeah 
but I think understanding what that means in in like a real perception terms is. See, I I like you know the thing I like about I find that empowering in a sense, and I try and try and hang in that that sort of space. I think I just wrote a blog post on that this week or something. I wrote online about it, but that idea of it just is. But then it's us that gives it a label, and then once we give it a label, then we have a reaction to the label that we've given it. But the thing in and of itself is just is. Yeah. And then you have the choice in terms of how you want to label it and how you want to react to it and how you want to let it affect your behavior and all of that. Um, which, you know, I'm not saying that's an easy place to step into. But for me, it's a nice aspiration to yeah, kind of yeah. head for that sort of space and and to have sort of checkpoints that pull you back. Um, so when you find yourself drifting off and going into that space where you're getting ready to have all these emotions and reactions to then remember that a thing is just a thing and that you have a choice in terms of how you want to label it and then to react to it and yeah. go sort of forward to it. Yeah. But it's having that awareness to pull yourself back out and step out of it I think the great thing about this book too is that it gives you a kind of map or glimpse into like what it lies ahead in terms of spiritual training mm. or men, you know mind training or whatever you want to call it but you know from where I'm sitting it's good to be able to look ahead and kind of see even if it's only initially a glimmer and an intellectual understanding about what's happening, it is, it is motivating because it's like, okay, you know, other people have gotten to that point where this is, this is more experiential for them. And that, for me, that really motivates me to kind of keep going. Yeah, yeah. So now that's, so if you're thinking, as you're thinking about this book here, where would you feel, or where are you at on your sort of spiritual journey? Oh, God. Because that's a big thing for you as well. You're on a, this Yeah, I mean, the, all of this language, things, it was yeah. interesting because all my Buddhist kind of study for me is in a, in a Tibetan tradition called um, Mahamudra, which is, yeah, it, it's just all the concepts are obviously the same, but the language and the packaging is just slightly different. And then there's just so much more, you know, teachers wrapping you on the head with their sticks and, yeah, that's what I and like. giving these very kind of... You know, it was interesting, like all the the Zen koans, because you know these little scenarios where you have a snippet of um, what a Zen master would say to a, a student, and you're given as a as a Zen practitioner a little dialogue, and you have to kind of think about it and try and figure out what it means, because mm. um, at first it sounds like it often sounds like these Zen masters are just talking about their breakfast, like yeah. what is the meaning of enlightenment? Finish your cereal. I'm like you yeah, know, no, just absolutely. like yeah. what? <laughs> so that that's the kind of initial reaction you have and stuff, and then so it was kind of it always is good, I think, to take the concepts that you're and and things that you're trying to understand and look at them from a different the same things from a different angle or or in different words because it kind of gives you sheds a different light. Yeah. So I think that was quite helpful, but um. I think one of the things also is this idea that emotions and and if we are in this world of binaries where we experience joy and we experience sorrow and all the things, I think what it comes to is 
trying not to resist what is. And like you're saying, things are just as they are. So one of the um, kind of profound realizations that, uh, I can't remember if it's the, the guy, or let me look it up, I put it down, um, kind of comes to is, oh, I know, here it is. It's about, it's about his, um, his own teacher's journey. He says, in the early days of his Zen practice, David had thought that being beyond sorrow and joy, in other words, enlightenment, or beyond binaries, meant that you wouldn't feel either emotion. He saw now that this was a misconception. Being beyond sorrow and joy meant immersing yourself in them completely with your whole heart in the midst of boundless equanimity. In other words, equanimity not resisting what is, not, not saying, I don't want that. Taking everything, good and sorrow, as if it's the same. Again, uh, oh, that just goes into dialogue, but you know, I think that that's, we're always, I think part of the problem is we're always like resisting, you know, so it's like you have things that make you happy and you want more of them and you have things that, you know, frustrate you or make you sad and so you don't want them and you try and minimize them. And I don't know what this is like in myself, but I know that teachings from every different tradition that I read keep telling me to kind of allow both things to be there and that it's not a problem, that we need to like lean into But aren't we sort of conditioned the, to want to have a good life and not have bad and, and yeah, everything so. to be sort of groovy and moving along? Yeah. Although, which is interesting from, I guess, historically though, because there was a, probably a part, time in our history where um, your lot was to suffer and you saw that as you know, if you were a serf or a peasant, that was, you were meant to be miserable. <laughs> and so, and that was okay. But then somewhere along the line, we made this switch where nobody should be miserable and that we should all be happy and we should all strive to have lots of money and wealth and, yeah. um, and all these great things so that we have... I, I think this idea was in this podcast that I wanted to also mention it's in the Uplift podcast and it was an episode called Why Sadness is Good for You where they interviewed this psych professor Joseph Forgas I think I'll stick it in the show notes anyway Mm. he's basically saying that you know we're taught that our life we should expect to be happy and that we're striving to be happy and yet we're continually faced with scenarios that make us sad and so what's and, and then when we feel that sadness we, exactly like you're saying, take it to mean that something's wrong yeah, and that we need to fix it. And actually, he's, what his research is on is about the purpose of sadness. Yeah, because so, we, we spend a lot of time trying to come out of the space. Of, I mean, we probably put a lot of energy to move away from and not be sad. So we put a lot of energy in making everything to make us sort of happy. And that seems to be the natural state that we all try to strive for. But I'm wondering, does that create even more unhappiness or sadness? Because when you recognize that you're not happy, you get even sadder or, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's the other layer that you put on it. Mm. So you feel sad because something's happened and then you don't want to be sad. So then you feel more kind of frustrated, more upset, whatever it is. Um, whereas he, th- I mean, in well, the... Sorry, because yeah, yeah. you just, um, before you came, I was talking to our barista, 
And um, you know, she's studying to be a lawyer, basically, but she's not sure that she wants to do the bar exam and all that and go practice in law. Because what she really wants to do is open a bookshop somewhere. Um, but her very first words after she said what she really wants to do is open a bookshop was, but I'll be broke. And I thought, and here's a dilemma, isn't it? Because when you look at sort of society kind of pushes you to say, well, you know, go and you do this and you get your law degree and then you make all this money and you have all this wealth and all that jazz. Her dream or desire, the thing that she really wants to do is to open up a bookstore. But the conception is if I open up this bookstore, her perception is, then I'll be broke. And we're, we're constantly driven by these things of and I what we on that, think will I'll make us broke, happy. I won't be happy. That's right. That's the underlying thing, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Whereas having the bookstore would make her happy. Yeah. I don't know. Or do we presume that money will make us happy? So if I go for the law end and I make lots of money, then I'll be happy. Or do I be broke, have my bookstore and be happy but broke? Is that the choice? Yeah. Well, I mean, is it really the choice? I don't know. I mean, maybe you could be <laughs> both making money with the bookstore. I don't know. You know, I think what's, uh, again, what, what's been great about this, reading this book is it's you know, when you come out of a, a movie and it's like, you have that moment, that, that time period, like I always have a hard time coming out of a film because for like five minutes, I kind of can't talk to anyone because I have to transition out of the world of mm. the film. And, uh, That's when you know what's good if you've been absorbed into the fiction. I get quite so easily it, absorbed. I don't. To. Yeah. Anyway, but um, I kind of you know you have that kind of perception that you've brought from the film back into your reality. And I feel like that's happened with this book too, where there's something about the book that breaks you away from taking your life way too seriously. Because hmm. if you're aware of all these other realms and all this stuff then it doesn't really matter whether you become a lawyer or open a bookshop. Like, yeah. it doesn't, like, it yeah, really absolutely. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah So, but, but we take everything so seriously, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think if we look at all these Zen masters and all the Buddhas, you know, whatever, there's a lot of laughter about it. And I, I always think about that laughter because I'm like, hmm, it's the laughing that I, I feel like you get something that I don't because this doesn't seem funny to me, but I yeah. think that it's because we're all too serious about things, you know? We think things are, like, really important. Yeah. And well, that's interesting. Well, there's a, interesting that you, that you say that, like, um, well, a couple of things. And for the book, the fact that you have a Jewish, um, what would you call them? Not a priest, whatever they are, but he's also a Zen Master, isn't it? So there yeah, was a lot of. I don't think of he's a rabbi. He's, he's he wasn't. No, no, okay, he's just a bookbinder. Ah, uh, okay, I thought yeah, he yeah. was. I got you. So, because it just seemed to be the you know, mixing of the different yeah, yeah. spiritual sort of thoughts and thinkings. But on the same lines that you just pointed out, there is that actually it doesn't matter in the end. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. So yeah, yeah. huh? All right, I think we might. In there. Well, if you love, <laughs> if you love like <laughs> challenging your brain and uh, ability to wrap Listen your to head this around, podcast. yeah, it's well, <laughs> and then go read meetings with the archangel by Stephen Mitchell. Yeah, it's really good. It's uh, <laughs> interesting, especially if you're in that space where you're on your own sort of spiritual journey. I think it just puts another spin or light. And I guess if you're not on a spiritual journey, maybe it might entice you to embark upon your own sort of spiritual journey in a sense 
but not to take it too seriously. I think that's probably for me would be a biggest takeaway is never to take any of this stuff too seriously. Cause, yeah. Yeah, it all ends the same anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. It all ends we're the all, same. All on the escalator and going to the. Either we're going to be in the cosmic soup or there is going to be nothing. So either way, it's going to be okay. If it's nothing, you won't know anyway. If it's the cosmic soup, then it'll be cool. Um, and you'll get to <laughs> choose another identity. All right. Awesome. Good stuff. And I got to figure out how I can get into my man cave. It's been hard. I was saying before the show started just to bring the listeners up. And I really feel for you because. That yeah. I'm in that. I'm in that. I need to be in the man cave. But uh, this week and all the next week, I have, I have to be around people. But I so desperately not want to be around people i want to go to my fortress of solitude up in the north pole and you know veg out for a little bit but i can't um so anyway just gonna have to breathe through it yes i am gonna i'm gonna have to probably miss this cycle in full but i do have a lot of driving coming up next week so yeah not quite the same as the man cave no not quite the same not quite the same all right have a good one see you next week This episode of the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast is brought to you by people just like you, wonderful listeners. So thank you very much. If you have a spare second and you want to click over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or just some stars, that really helps us out a lot and helps other people find us who might enjoy the show. And if you would like to contribute to the show, then you can contribute as little as a pound an episode or less than a coffee an episode um, if you head over to havanacafesessions.co.uk and click on the contribute button you'll find all kinds of different ways that you can help us out thank you so much if you have already contributed in some way or if you're thinking about contributing and really even just telling other people who you think might enjoy the podcast or um, joining in the conversation is very, very helpful. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sarah Hunt, and on behalf of Clay Lowe, goodbye, and we'll see you next week.